An almost monotonous zoom can be heard in the background as I'm stepping into a very bright room. The four walls are filled with moving black and white images. I see people walking around and suddenly I realize that I'm looking at myself. Live images of the room are projected on all four walls from different perspectives. And I have the feeling of constantly being watched, which of course I am. Some of the images start connecting different people and zooming in on the faces. On a wall behind me, those faces are put together on a giant collage of random people that have passed through here. It's definitely confronting. But is it art? Let's go around and see what some visitors and hosts think. Oh, Zoom. Uh, I don't know. I see Zoom more as a visual work where you can experience the way how you are tracked by cameras. I guess because it's just making us realize something and making us feel something. So that's what art is, I guess. Yes, it, it's, a, it's an installation. It's an experience. So therefore, uh, undergo this experience. I see it as art, yes. Welcome to the sixth episode of But Is It Art, a podcast by Next Museum in Amsterdam, the home of new media art at the intersection of art, science, sound, and tech. In this first season, we're exploring the artworks from our inaugural exhibition, Shifting Proximities, trying to answer the never-ending question, But Is It Art? This episode, we focus on Zoom Pavilion by Rafael Lozano Hammer and Krzysztof Wodyczko. So Zoom Pavilion is a project that falls into a tradition of experimentation that we started in probably the early 90s. You're hearing Rafael Lozano Hammer, one of the artists of Zoom Pavilion. He's a Mexican-Canadian artist based in Montreal. The piece comes from this tradition of um, so-called, you know, intelligence. Um, in 1991, um, we had some of the very first smart bombs in the first Gulf War. And the idea is that um, observation, the computerized observation, could take a certain kind of uh, executive control over target acquisition. So it was no longer humans making decisions on targets, but the bombs themselves, the computer vision systems, have the capability to do that. So we're talking about a long, long time ago. And then, of course, that same technology, fast forward to present day, um, are you know, in every single one of our personal devices, from our smart TVs to our phones to our cars. And so the degree to which this uh, migration of executive control has moved from humans to algorithms is, is something that is problematic. And it's something that's always informed my work. You heard Raphael talk about executive control referring to how we no longer trust our own human decisions, but we now outsource those decisions to the technology that we built. And how is this executive control visible in Zoom Pavilion specifically? Zoom Pavilion is basically the motherboard of all scanners. It features 12 cameras that are trained according to three different types of, of tracking. One is more like an aerial view, more like a, a drone or satellite view of um, the site. 
One is more a perspective view, which is more the surveillance that you get at a shopping mall or a prison. And the third is more a personal view, like a frontal view, uh, face detection, things that you find in your phone or your computer. And so um, these three levels of surveillance are coexisting and creating this <clears throat> immersive environment. And it has a specific thematic, uh, in this case, uh, inspired by the work and the experience of Shishtov Otyshko, who, um, who I collaborate with for this project. Otyshko is a Polish artist based in the US who has been tackling social issues in the public sphere for decades in his work. He was a pioneer in media art and quite activist in his artistic practice. Here's Wodichko. The earliest project in public space was developed and performed in 1968, in 1969. It was uh, equipment that I was wearing myself. Uh, it was uh, equipment that allowed me to listen to uh, acoustic environment in the city in a creative way that is filtering uh, away some frequencies or focusing on other sound frequencies through electroacoustic filters that were controlled by the movements of my hands in relation to, uh, to sunlight in the context of uh, authoritarian state socialist reality in which we were basically forced to listen. We could not speak freely in public space the authoritarian society from the Cold War era has inspired Wodichko even long after the Iron Curtain had been lifted. Zoom Pavilion, which was originally created in 2015, also was influenced by Wodichko's past in authoritarian Poland. This is Rafael Lozano Hammer again. So in collaborating with, with Wodichko, Wodichko is an artist that I have long admired. One of the stories that he was telling me as part of our collaboration is he grew up in communist Poland, and uh, there there was a series of rules um, whereby it was illegal for an assembly of people in public space without a permit. There were microphones everywhere uh, implanted in the walls. You're hearing with Ichko. And there were all kinds of uh, spies that were listening to what we were saying, reporting to the Ministry of Interior. It was a little one over Orwellian situations, for sure, in which I grew up. The idea of having a big brother-like society, or Orwellian, as Wodichko calls it, referring to George Orwell's dystopian novel, 1984, that idea is very apparent in Zoom Pavilion. And there is one specific element of this society that is purposefully incorporated in Zoom Pavilion. One aspect in this uh, Zoom Pavilion that I wished or it was uh, something important for me to contribute. It was social sorting, meaning that the surveillance actually is categorizing people and uh, grouping them and uh, according to preconceived notions, what they are doing, or but also what, what they may be doing or may not be doing. And so we took all of those rules, you know, from um, Assembly of Communist Poland, and uh, we put them onto an algorithmic system that constantly is measuring not the individuals, but the relationship between individuals. How far away are they from each other? And how long are they with each other? Just like spies in authoritarian Poland would keep an eye out for so-called suspicious people, the artwork does the same. 
It connects people on those same perimeters, focusing on how long they have been standing together and how far apart, and then it makes a snapshot of two suspicious people. On one of the walls, all the faces of those suspicious people are projected in a mugshot-like way. And there's no way of controlling whether or not you end up on there. The control is completely out of our hands. But it's clear now that we didn't do enough to prevent these tools from being used for harm as well. And that goes for fake news, for foreign interference in elections and hate speech, as well as developers and data privacy. We didn't take a broad enough view of our responsibility, and that was a big mistake. And it was my mistake, and I'm sorry. I started Facebook, I run it, and I'm responsible for what happens here. You heard Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook and CEO of newly renamed Meta. This was in a trial where Facebook was sued for violating the privacy of their users. Meta, Google, Apple, all of those companies have been criticized for surveilling their users and using the information gathered in that surveillance for profit. Yet a big counter-movement is growing, making people aware of this surveillance and privacy violation. And artists are often trying to be a part of this counter-movement as well. This is Raphael again. The question is, how can we make a contribution to, to you know, defund surveillance, for example? And one of the ideas... Uh, it's an idea that I've defended for a long time, is, 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 is a supposition. What would happen if you take every single surveillance camera in public space and you convert it into a projector? What if instead of taking images away from us, these technologies could give us images to share a, an experience, right? To be able to, to have more images in public space. It sounds very contradictory. Since on the one hand, surveillance is seen as a violation of privacy, whilst on the other hand, the availability of surveillance footage could lead to more transparency and more diversity in the types of images available. One way to increase the amount of images in the public space, which is something that Lozano Hammer vouches for, as well as critique surveillance at the same time, is to turn the camera into a projector, which is literally done in Zoom Pavilion. Another way is to provide the opportunity for the visitor to become political. We live in a society where we think we're being political or activist when we like a post by someone who says something provocative. But to what degree is this not a sphere that is actually stopping real resistance or real change? You know, I'm pretty sure that people take selfies in there, but when they show them to people is not necessarily... Um, you know, like a selfie at the Niagara Falls or some kind of nice natural thing or, or, or even, you know, some of the pieces that you have at Next are, are beautiful per se, right? They're doing it because they're part of a society of participation which both um, empowers you virtually but not really for sure, not really truthfully and then at the same time contains you in this, in this aquarium that is uh, telepresence. Okay, so maybe taking a selfie in Zoom Pavilion is not as sincerely political or it doesn't ignite as much change and debate about privacy as the actual work does itself. But it does raise awareness in the visitor's so-called aquarium or the bubble they live in, since it exposes more people to these types of images. Come to think of it, isn't it a little bit weird that in a work about not wanting to be seen, you take pictures of yourself? 
Let's hear from Wodichko. People were enjoying it and they were afraid of it. So there was a two uh, seemingly contradictory aspects of the perception and imagination and also experience of this uh, being inside of this uh, uh, eyeball, <laughs> so to speak, of surveillance. So that perplexity, because on the one hand, it is a narcissistic aspect in surveillance. It's, it's a kind of um, a pleasure of being looked at or being recognized as, as an object of surveillance, somebody important, I guess, to even focus camera on. When we first turned on the piece, I was surprised about how, you know, families and everybody was taking their selfies. So, you know, that, but, but I understood quite quickly, this is also the way that we relate to surveillance is we apply it on ourselves and, uh, and, we, and we contribute to it. So it's natural that that's people's reactions. Interesting too is, is when people, and in this project we've taken to, to many places. And one of the things that we do see quite often is sometimes the algorithm pairs you with someone you know and immediately shows you with him or her. And if you know this person, it just becomes a cohesive, kind of connected, you know, shared experience. But what's interesting to me is when you're connected to someone you don't know. And I like that. I think that it's always interesting to, to start thinking about other aspects of surveillance, like for example, gender, right? If a man and a woman or, um, I don't know, a transgender person gets connected to somebody else, there are senses of predatory vision of relationship of how we relate to each other in public space. It could also be with race or it could be with anything. You know, my understanding of a work depends on who else is in the room and what are, you know, the things that make us similar or make us different. And so the work, and I really like this about it, it's out of control. And I like that. I think that a good artwork is always needs to be out of control. And the relationships that emerge completely depend on who is in the room at that time. It is clear that the work, just like almost all of the works Lozano Hammer and Wodichko make, is extremely political. And this political nature is not something that is welcomed in every situation. So this project started in um, actually as a commission for uh, Beijing Biennial of uh, Architecture. And it was interesting because we started working on the project and we were ready to present it in Beijing. And just a few weeks before, um, we already had one member of our staff there scouting. Um, they basically said, no, there was no permission to do it. So I don't want to call it censorship, but certainly, you know, there was no permission, whatever you call that. Um, and so we did not realize this project in China. And this ties back to the authoritarian regime that Krzysztof Wodichko had lived in before. Some countries might strive for control and want to surveil even artists, resulting in a society with a smaller diversity in images and art in general, let alone political art. Rafael Lozano-Hammer and Krzysztof Wodichko aren't new to making art. 
We heard Budichko say that his first public space-related artwork was made in the 80s, which makes him, in contemporary art terms, one of the more old-school artists. If you've listened to the last episode, you might have heard Thijs Biersteket criticize the term new media art. Well, both Wodichko and Lozano Hammer prove why the term isn't very accurate as well. Um, when I first started doing this kind of work, uh, we used to call this new media. And, um, you know, this is new to nobody. I don't think I've ever met an artist who works in electronics or media art that likes to call him or herself new media, right? Um, if you think what we're doing is new or original, it's just you haven't studied enough. I don't necessarily like this term because I think we should not say new media, we should say media. Media is a media, medium is a medium. In fact, uh, so-called new media, it's already not new, you know, when the time we actually are <laughs> making sense of it, it's already around us. Uh, including those photo receivers, you know, or the electroacoustic filters, they were everywhere. So it's uh, we are always behind almost development of media. So we kind of catch up with this. Yeah, the word new is corporate, and um, I really dislike specifically when the techno optimists tell us things like, well, you know. With this, I don't know, VR set or whatever, we will have new possibilities and infinite possibilities. Well, guess what? An empty canvas also gives you infinite possibilities and so does an empty notebook. So I don't understand what this insistence on the new is other than capitalism and just selling you something. Okay, so it seems like many artists agree on the fact that the media used in so-called new media art isn't new. But what term could we use to refer to this type of art? Sometimes I've, I've professed that a better word instead of new is alien. I really like the word alien because, as you may know, in North America, where I, I immigrated, um, we call aliens uh, the Mexicans or the foreigners. And I, I, I love that. I think that that's really great. There is a sense of otherness um, that, you do not, that you do not belong. Uh, you're not new. You know, you're not new, you're, you're from somewhere else, okay? But you just don't belong here. And this is, this is I, I like this term a lot. Alien art. I do have to admit, it has a ring to it. And it really plays with the idea of reinventing traditional art forms using non-traditional technologies. And that is something that we have been discussing throughout this podcast. Whether it is architecture, music, archiving, sculpture... Alien art brings the familiar in an unfamiliar way. Thank you for listening to the sixth episode of But Is It Art? A podcast by me, Victor van der Velde, for Next Museum. In the next and final episode, we're going to talk about QR codes and live performance. Can a DJ set with visual elements also be seen as new media or alien art? In the meantime, come and visit us. We're a new media museum in the Netherlands, seeking, showing, and questioning what's next. See you there.